You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of Girl Speak, Norse Mythology Girls. I'm Tiffany, a junior girl at Girl Museum. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. We are a completely virtual museum that explores and documents the unique experience of being born and growing up female around the world in the past and present. In this month's Girls in Art podcast, we'll be discussing representations of girls in mythological belief systems. We'll be looking at specific goddesses in the ancient Norse mythology and the stories behind them. Specifically, we'll be asking the question, what do these goddesses say about Norse women? Though we won't be taking a comprehensive look, we hope you'll like our glimpses into Norse mythology that you may not have heard much about before. To highlight our interpretations, we'll also be featuring various artworks and artifacts. Some were made during the Norse period, and others during the Viking revival in the 19th century. This revival was in response to archaeological finds, like the first longship found in Norway in 1867, scholarly theories on Norse exploration of the Americas, literary works that romanticized the Norse seafarers, and republished translations of medieval texts about the Norse. First, though, we need to address one question. Who are the Norse? The Norse are the people of Scandinavia, before it was Christianized, who spoke a language known as Old Norse. They lived between the 8th and 11th centuries in what is now northern Europe, Iceland, Greenland, and parts of the Americas. From the early medieval period to today, we've also called them the Vikings, though this term is inaccurate in describing all the Norsemen, since the Norse term for Viking only describes sailors, and was not extensively used until the Victorian era. Norse mythology stems primarily from paganism, and continued, after Christianization, as Scandinavian folklore. It is related to Germanic mythology, similarly to how Greek and Roman religions are related, but not quite the same. We know about the Norse mythology primarily through medieval manuscripts, archaeological finds, and folk tradition. Most of this material centers on the plights of the gods and how they interact with other beings, such as humanity. As for women in Norse mythology, their place can be adequately summed by quoting from one of the main medieval manuscripts on the Norse, the Prose Edda. All the goddesses may be paraphrased thus, by calling them by the name of another, and naming in terms of their possessions, or their works, or their kindred. Yet, as we'll find today, these medieval interpretations of Norse goddesses may be missing the power behind the myth. We'll begin with Freya, the Norse goddess of love, fertility, and magic. Though there are many female characters in the Norse mythological canon, Freya is by far the one we know the most about. In fact, she may be one of the few whose status is equal to male characters. She is shown here in a Viking-era silver pendant found in a grave in Sweden, now in the collections of the Swedish History Museum. Freya is described in many ways, but her two primary aspects are love and fertility, as well as magic. She loves erotic poetry, and is stated in the myths to be part of the world's oldest profession. In other words, a prostitute, 
which is fairly common for goddesses of love in ancient mythologies. She is also a professional practitioner of satyr, or Norse magic. In fact, the addition of magic to Norse culture is directly attributed to Freya, who introduced it to the gods and humans. Freya practices a specific type of magic known as divination, or predicting destiny. She also has the ability to rewrite destiny. This aspect of Freya is very telling, because we know that there were human practitioners of magic known as vulva. The vulva were sorceresses and seeresses who traveled from town to town performing magic in exchange for lodging and food. Due to their travel and powers, their social status was ambiguous. They were simultaneously exalted, feared, longed for, celebrated, and scorned. In the image displayed, you can see finds from the grave of a vulva in Oland, which are now on display at the Swedish Museum of National Antiquities in Stockholm. These finds include an 82-centimeter-long wand of iron with bronze details, a pitcher, likely from Persia, and a Western European bronze bowl, all of which show how widely traveled and traded the vulva might have been. One of the most famous of these vulva is in the tale of Beowulf. In the tale, as recorded by the Roman historian Tacitus, the Queen of Denmark is known as a Valera. She is the wife of a warband's leader, and her duties included foretelling the outcome of a suggested plan of action by divination. Additionally, during ritual feasts, the Valera was to serve a special cup of liquor to the warband to aid them on their impending quest. Freya was likely held in the same regard as a Valera among the Norse. She was the wife of Odin, king of all the gods. As his wife, she split the souls of the dead with him, taking half of those who died in battle to her hall, Folkvangar, while Odin took the other half to his hall, Valhalla. Yet she was powerful in her own right, due to her abilities. Like the Vulva, Freya was exalted and celebrated for her ability to bring love and fertility to the Norse. But she was feared, and perhaps scorned, for the power and independence she held, especially concerning her magic. Another clue to Freya's power lies in the fact that Freya appears in both divisions of Norse mythology, Vanir and Asir. This indicates she is very powerful and respected, especially since she changed little in transferring from one division to another. Additionally, Freya's name means Lady in Old Norse. Therefore, it was an honor for Norse women to be called Lady, because it meant that they were like Freya. In contrast to Freya, we find the Lady Sif. Now, in Norse mythology, Lady Sif is nothing like what you see in the modern-day Marvel comics and movies. In fact, we know very little about what Sif was like or what she did. Like this 1909 painting by John Charles Dolman, Lady Sif has been hidden from us, except for her infamous hair. The primary reference to her confirms that she is Thor's wife. In the creation of Thor's hammer, her role is almost that of a prop. Loki, Thor's trickster brother, cuts off Lady Sif's long golden hair as a trick. Thor, enraged, threatens to kill Loki, but Loki convinces Thor to let him find an even fairer head of hair for Sif in exchange for sparing his life. Loki then has the dwarves fashion a golden headpiece for Lady Sif, which becomes her new hair. Lady Sif's hair has been interpreted by scholars to indicate that she is a goddess of the harvest, 
In Old Norse, the word for a specific species of moss used by the Norse translates to Sif's hair, and thus supports this assertion. Yet this is all we know about the Lady Sif. Nothing else has been found to suggest that Lady Sif was a warrior or fought alongside Thor, as is portrayed in the Marvel Universe. However, the Marvel Universe does make mention of Sif's hair, when Loki cuts it off, hoping to ruin Thor's romance with Sif. Thor then has Loki replace Sif's hair, but Loki, unwilling to pay the price for golden hair, has the dwarves fashion hair from the blackness of the night. These strands begin to grow once placed on Sif's head, and, unfortunately for Loki, Thor finds Sif's new black hair even more attractive. This is how Marvel explains Sif's hair, though they fail to explain how Lady Sif has also become a warrior, which is not mentioned in any Norse sources. In addition to Freya and Lady Sif, we know a bit about the goddesses Skadi and Idun. Skadi is a giantess in Norse mythology, who became a goddess by marrying the god Njord. Skadi and Njord were not married long, however, and separated amicably when they found that Skadi hated Njord's seaside home as much as he hated her mountain home. She is depicted in this 1901 painting by H.L.M. entitled Skadi Hunting in the Mountains. Skadi, in Old Norse, means harm, but may also come from Germanic and Old English words meaning shadow. It is also thought that her name is either the namesake of Scandinavia or is derived from Scandinavia, though this has not been confirmed. Her name may also derive from the fact that she is a giant. Giants in Norse mythology are forces of darkness, cold, and death. Hence, Shadow seems an appropriate name. Skadi lives in the highest northern mountains of the Norse lands, where the snow never melts. She is an avid huntress and skier, known for her bow, snowshoes, and skis. Due to these skills, and her association with darkness and cold, Skadi may be a goddess of winter, or winter activities like skiing. Yet scholar Hilda Ellis Davidson has proposed another interpretation of Skadi. To Davidson, Skadi is the mythological embodiment of the separation of the Norsemen from their neighbors, the Sami people of northern Norway. Skadi shows many of the same characteristics used to describe the Sami, such as skiing, bow hunting, and living in the mountains. Skadi was also worshipped extensively in northern Norway, which further supports Davidson's theory. Our final goddess is Idun, depicted in an 1858 statue by Hermann Wilhelm Bissen. Idun is the owner and dispenser of a mythological fruit that grants immortality, likely apples, though we don't know for sure. This fruit must be eaten by the Norse gods and goddesses in order to maintain their eternal life, and thus Idun's name means ever young or rejuvenator. She is integral to the Norse pantheon, as is related in the tale the kidnapping of Idun. In this tale, Loki was made to bring a giant the fruits of Idun's tree. During Loki's attempt to do so, the giant kidnaps Idun and takes her to his lair. In her absence, the Norse gods begin to grow old and weak, slowly becoming mortal. When the gods learn that Idun is missing, they send Loki to rescue her, and thus their immortality is restored upon her return. Other than this tale, we know very little of Idun. Like Lady Sif and Skadi, 
Edan is also shrouded in mystery, often referred to through tales of other, mostly male, gods. This is in direct contrast to Freya, of whom we know so much. As we've seen, Norse goddesses inhabit a range of roles, mostly centered on giving or taking life, as well as magic. Though often referred to in texts, like the Prosetta, based on their relations to male gods or their works, Norse goddesses inhabited a space which suggests that Norse women held a variety of roles. They could be powerful and independent, like Freya and her human counterparts, the Volva and the Veleda. They could be secondary to their husbands, and, as is common, largely unknown to us, like the place which Lady Sif holds, thus remaining mysteries for us to solve. Or they could inhabit spaces in between, like Skadi and Idun, where they are simultaneously independent, capable of elevating their status, as Skadi does through marriage to a god, divorcing and living without a male counterpart, also like Skadi, or holding roles integral to the well-being of society, like Idun. But they are also tied to the deeds of their male counterparts, and never clearly given any stories of their own. They are, like many women before and after them, companions to history, but never front and center, living out their daily lives as wives, mothers, workers, travelers, and so forth. Thus, Norse goddesses show us that Norse women were ascribed many roles, often centering on their traditional roles as wives and mothers, but that could be expanded to include independent positions of power, roles in war or maintaining society, and lives apart from any male consort. Perhaps most telling, however, are the stories of real Norse women. Like their mythological counterparts, most are virtually unknown to us. Yet some are known, and their lives are incredibly complex, like Gudrid, who married, had children, and also became one of the first European women in the Americas, traversing the Atlantic at least eight times during her life. These women, mythological and real, show us that assuming ancient women were just wives and mothers is perhaps the gravest mistake we can make. Ancient women, like the Norse women, often had choices. These choices led to some amazing feats, most of which we will likely never know. But of the ones we do know, one thing is certain. Women, even when behind the curtain, had a powerful impact on the world around them. We hope you have enjoyed this month's Girls in Art podcast. We invite you to tune in to our next podcast on July 28th, where we will be recapping the news about girls around the world for the month of July. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website.